Well, we have been dealing with uh, a variety of topics related to Pentecost or the Holy Spirit, and um, we kind of got bumped a couple weeks. We had a couple things on, and so here we are in July. But I kind of want to wrap up this theme this morning, uh, speaking on, on something that I think is in line very much with what we've been talking about. You may remember just a couple weeks ago, we talked about uh, the open heaven that we now have through Christ, that Jacob in Genesis 28, he had that vision. He was in a land called Luz. And uh, he just had this vision as he slept of, of, a stair, of a stairwell or of a ladder between earth and heaven and angels ascending and descending. And uh, what stuck out to us was the fact that he was so impacted by the reality that God was there that he changed the name of that city from Luz to Bethel, which means a house of God. And it reminded us how oftentimes we go about our busy lives that we're totally oblivious to what God is doing all around us. We, we see things, we live life, we judge things by what we see with a natural eye, just like that city of Luz meant almond groves or almond trees, because everywhere you looked, that's all you saw, and they just thought that's all there was there, and that's all Jacob thought there ever was. But when he has his encounter with God, he realized in the realm of the Spirit that God is at work all around. There's divine activity all around him. And so in the same way, we're reminded that the Holy Spirit is doing that same thing today because Jesus Christ is that bridge now between heaven and earth, and the angels of God and the people of God are, are called to minister as they cooperate with the Lord through the Holy Spirit in what he's doing and get to experience some, uh, some pretty exciting things. So this morning, I'm going to turn our attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, familiar passages in which Paul itemizes some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but we're not going to go through those particularly this morning. I want to kind of take a different angle as a, a study in this week. It seemed to go in a different direction, but there's just a simple thought that I kind of want to leave with us, kind of drill down on a little bit uh, before, we, um, before we move on to some other topics through the summer. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, reading verse 1, then skipping on to verse 4. Paul writes, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one of the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he, the Spirit, wills. And then Romans chapter 12. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are all one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation or encourages. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. And the one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. You know, in almost 40 years of pastoral ministry, I've really come to be convinced over the years that the primary focus of pastoral service is people. 
People are the focus. And what I mean by that is that I'm convinced that growing believers, growing Christians into ministering people is what Jesus meant when he said, I will build my church. He was talking about people, you and me. And that's the kind of church that not only thrives, but it's also the kind of people who have a spiritual understanding of who they are. They understand their authority. And as Jesus says, the gates of hell are not able to resist them, not able to stand against them. Now, if I was to ask you a simple question, as a Christian this morning, what do you believe? Probably most of us could articulate in a sentence or two what we believe as a Christian. But I want to ask you this question this morning. I want you to really think about this. Not only what do you believe, but how do you intend to minister what you believe? Do you hear me this morning? Not just what do you believe. What are you doing to actually minister what you believe? Because there's a difference, and the Lord intends us to do that. Now, there are those in Christian circles today who don't believe in a lot of the gifts that we just read about in these two portions of scriptures, and they definitely don't believe in what we might call the miracle gifts. That theology is called cessationism. It simply means that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the power gifts, the miracle gifts, that they disappeared with the apostles because it was only the apostles who needed that kind of power to get the church launched, to kind of get it started, and then once it got going, then it was good to go. And in fact, once we got the scriptures in printed form, what we call the Bible today, well, now we have the full revelation of God, and so the answer to everything you possibly need is found in the Word of God. So we don't need those gifts or the gifts of the Spirit, at least not like the apostles had in their day. But if that were true, then my question is simply this. Would the baptism with the Holy Spirit, with miracle power, would that have not been a pretty bizarre way for God to begin the church and for God to set the church in motion if he never intended those things to remain part of the church's DNA down through the ages to this present day? Wouldn't it be a weird thing for God to birth his church with Holy Spirit fire and power, with the manifestation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, if those were not still needed in the work of God today? And I believe the answer is yes. Jesus continues to fill his people with the Holy Spirit and power because he wants to expose you and me to something that is so undeniably our own miracle that it becomes normal for us to expect the miraculous to happen through our lives. I'm absolutely convinced that's the reason why Jesus wants to baptize his people in the Holy Spirit. He wants you to have your own encounter with God to understand that when you share Christ with others, it's not just about intellectual acrobatics. He wants through you for people to encounter him too. He wants their lives to be impacted by the presence and person of Jesus Christ just like yours is. He wants to set a precedent in your experience. It doesn't mean we all have the same experience, but he wants you to encounter him in a real way that you know undeniably he is real so that you minister with that same confidence, understanding that he can be just as real to those around you that he leads you to minister to or to share. Jesus promised in Acts 1 and 8, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be filled with power. 
and you will be my witnesses even to the most remote places on the earth. I don't think that only means geographically. I mean, I think he also means even the most unimaginable situations in life. You will be my witnesses everywhere in every situation. You see, just like the disciples, Jesus has commissioned you and me with a task that is unlike any other task that anybody else has in this life. And it's a task that requires the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to remind us this morning that we talk about the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, that this power is real. It's real. This is not symbolic. The power of God is not just something we talk about. It's not just a feeling. Acts 1 and 8 talks about real power or ability to witness effectively. Real power to love radically. Real power to cast out demons and to heal the sick. Real power to comfort and to encourage. And Jesus said in Acts 1 and 8, he said, it is this power that will make you my witnesses. It's not just what you believe that will make you my witnesses. It is the power of the Holy Spirit, of the resurrected Christ in your life that will make your life shine. That will make you my witness. Now, as many of us know, in the Greek language in which the New Testament was written, the word witness is martos. Martos is where we get our English word what? Martyr, right? And I believe what Jesus is saying is this, that the Holy Spirit will give you a power that will enable you to be bold, no matter what the cost. But you know, some of us here this morning, we may never lay our lives down for Jesus. I believe there are some of us who will in the days ahead, but some of us may never do that. So we need the power of the Holy Spirit not only to be bold, to be able to even die for Christ if necessary. We need the power of the Holy Spirit every single day in order to die to ourselves, to crucify the flesh, in order that the Holy Spirit may be able to show himself through us. And that happens how? It happens when we take the wealth of what it is we discover as we walk with Jesus Christ from day to day, and we determine to transmit that to others. That we realize that everything we are in Christ, everything we discover in him, everything we enjoy in him, even in a gathering like this this morning, that God's intention is not for our accumulation. It's for our distribution. That's why the Lord, I mean, he loves us and wants us to enjoy great things in him, but Jesus wants to release more things through you than you can possibly imagine. Go ahead, tell somebody. Jesus wants to release things through you. Tell them. I know it feels real weird, and you might have to wake them up, but just tell them. Jesus wants to release things. Now, I know some of you are too cool to do this. So if you find someone who's too cool, just converge on them. Jesus wants to release things through you, more things that you can imagine. Now, our scripture this morning, 1 Corinthians 12, begins with these words. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. The Greek word for spiritual is pneumatikos. Pneumatikos means this. It means to be empowered by breath or wind. In other words, these gifts are not just your human abilities. They're not just heightened human abilities. They're not just things that come natural to you. Oh, Lord, I have no problem doing that because I'm wired that way. I have no problem doing this because I'm comfortable doing this. No, no. He's talking about spiritual gifts. Pneumatikos. 
In fact, some of you may be familiar with uh, pneumatic tools. You ever heard of that? Like an impact wrench or a drill. Uh, it's, it's driven by air or by an air compressor. That's how they operate. Pneumatic. It means driven by wind, driven by air, the same thing. And what Paul is saying to us is, listen, these gifts are spiritual. These gifts are for all of you. But you cannot move in these gifts unless you allow the Holy Spirit to breathe in you. You cannot move in these gifts unless, as Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, I think around verse 8 there somewhere, he said, unless you understand that the Holy Spirit is like a wind, he moves. And if you're going to work with the Holy Spirit, you've got to learn to move with him. You've got to learn to move when he says move. And if you do, you'll partner with him and you'll see him do some pretty amazing things through your life. Pneumatikos, spiritual. Uh, the word gift is the uh, Greek word charisma. We've all heard that many times, I'm sure. Charis means gift, uh, means uh, grace, rather, and ma means the gift, or charismata is the plural of spiritual gifts. And so basically, charisma is the ability given by the Holy Spirit to show God's grace, to show God's kindness to those around us. Please understand me. Please hear this. God has not called us. Jesus has not purchased us with his blood and filled us with his Holy Spirit just so we be nice little boys and girls for Jesus. There's nothing wrong with being nice people. But that's not what he's called us to use to minister. That has limited capacities. It's more than that. These gifts are intended to let people know one thing. God is here. God sees you. God has your address. God knows your need. God loves you. Do you understand me this morning? That's the difference. Now, I mean, still be nice people. But when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit or being led by the Spirit, yes, he calls us to acts of love and so on. We'll talk about it in a couple of moments. But we need to understand it's not just about being nice people. Be nice. Tip well. When you go for lunch today, be nice. But that's not all it's about. That's not all we're talking about with these spiritual gifts available to all of us. Our English definition of charisma is this. A compelling attractiveness or charm that can inspire devotion in others. We know what it is to meet a charismatic person, right? We're attracted to a charismatic person. There's something about their giftedness, something about their personality that inspires us. And so based on the biblical definition of charisma, I want us to understand this. That every single one of you here this morning, you are a charismatic person. This is a great time, guys. You look at your wife and say, see? <laughs> I am exciting. We are all charismatic people. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has given us gifts through which he shows himself. And he shows his power, he shows his love, his kindness, whatever the need may be. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Another way of saying that is this. I do not want you to be unaware of your ability to attract people to Jesus when you allow the Holy Spirit to breathe in you and when you move with him. I believe that's what Paul is saying. I don't want any of you in the body to think you're just an ordinary Joe Blow and one day you're going to get to heaven and just kind of hope you do your best. No, I want you to understand every single one of you have the capacity for the Holy Spirit to live in you in fullness and in power. 
Every single one of you, the Holy Spirit has gifts waiting to give you to operate in if you'll only understand that you are a candidate for that. Every single one of you. He wants you to understand that that's his call for all of us. That all of us have the capacity to attract people to Jesus Christ. You know, there are very few Christians I find today who give much thought to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's safe to say that every single one of us here this morning, we want to be a witness for Jesus. Anybody? We want to be. Every Sunday that I get to preach, I am absolutely convinced I am preaching to a congregation of people who want to please God, who want to serve God. That's why you don't have people up here lambasting us or condemning or, you know, laying guilt trips because we're all on the same team. We all want to serve the Lord. We all want to honor him. But we have to understand that these two things are not separate. The gifts of the Holy Spirit and being the witness that Jesus was talking about. Now, I'm not going to take time this morning to delve into the gifts at all. You can read them yourself. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, and so on. You can look at those yourself and ask the Holy Spirit what he would say to you. But what I really wanted to do this morning instead, simply, what I hope to accomplish is just to begin to whet your appetite once again. To move from simply knowing what you believe to actually ministering what you believe. To be a ministering person. And what better time, even in the summertime, as we have an opportunity to get outside and to rub shoulders with a lot of people. Now, the various gifts that are mentioned in these scriptures, usually theologians break them down to three or four categories. For example, Romans chapter 12, one category is what they call motivational gifts. These are the things that, that motivate you, that you know, give you that oomph, that, that excitement kind of in life. And, and we have some of those things listed here. Serving, teaching, encouraging, generosity, mercy, compassion. Those are some things that they say, well, those are your motivational gifts. But then we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and they say, well, these speak about the manifestation gifts or the ministry gifts, ways that the Holy Spirit shows himself, God shows himself as you step out and you minister, and you have a list of a few of them, wisdom, knowledge, healing, miracles, discernment, tongues, interpretation of tongues, and so on. But there's also in Ephesians chapter 4 what are called ministerial gifts, and they are more in the form of people. Not a particular ministry gift, but people themselves. We have apostles and pastors, evangelists, teachers, and so on. And, and the Bible says that Jesus has given these people to lead the church to build up the saints. So these people are considered a gift. I am a gift to you. Now, as I've said before, sometimes you get a gift, you don't know what to do with it. But the Bible says that we are gifts to you, just as you are gifts to me. So that's a little different. The Greek word is doma. It's the same word Jesus used in Matthew 7, verse 11, when he talks about that a father knows how to give good gifts to his children. He's saying that's the kind of gift that we are in the body of Christ. It comes in the form of people. So we have motivational ministry and ministerial. Now, I could be wrong on this. There are pastors and theologians here who are much smarter than me. But I tend to believe that the motivational gifts really can be included on the same list as what we call the manifestation or the ministry gifts. That Romans chapter 12, which we read this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I really believe that they can be included in the same list. And there's a number of reasons for that. Number one is, most tend to agree that the list that Paul gives, that he never meant to be exhaustive. That is just like you do in a conversation sometimes. You list off some things, you may not include everything. And in the same way, there are other gifts that can be manifested that aren't included just there. 
Another reason is because both passages are described grace gifts. They use the word gifts. They use the same word charismata. Okay, we just talked about the grace gifts that come from the Holy Spirit. That's another reason why I would include them together. Also, there's a bit of a crossover in these two lists, particularly where prophecy is mentioned on both these lists. And then finally, I've found from personal experience, there is nothing more motivating than ministering for Jesus. So it kind of all blends together, I believe. But the important thing is this, that we understand that any of us at any time can minister any of these gifts. Let's say that again. Any of us at any time can minister any of these gifts. Let me just remind you of a few of these scriptures. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Each believer is given... I love this, continuous revelation by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means what I said earlier, that the Holy Spirit is at work all around us. And if we'll just tune in, he continually talks to us. He continually speaks to us, reveals things to us, prompts us, uses us, because he's constantly at work. Each believer is given continuous revelation by the Holy Spirit to benefit not just himself, not accumulation, but for distribution to all. Romans 12, God's marvelous grace imparts to each one of us varying gifts and ministries that are unique to us. Again, 1 Corinthians 12 and 11, it is the same Holy Spirit who distributes and then activates and then operates these different gifts as he chooses for each believer. And then Peter chimes in and says this, every believer has received grace gifts, charismata. So use them to serve one another as faithful stewards of the many-colored tapestry of God's grace, the manifold grace of God, another translation says. So the point is this. You each have a gift, if not several. It can be used in any of the gifts. But the gift is not yours. Right? No gift belongs to you. Every gift belongs to the Holy Spirit. But he gives us gifts to use at the time when it benefits everyone. So he will give us a gift, and he will activate that gift. Now, you may function more comfortably in one gift than you do another, but it doesn't mean that it belongs to you. And the reason I say that is because there is such a thing as people getting locked into their gift. So you might say to somebody, hey, we're hitting the streets, going to do some evangelism. Oh, that's not my gift. We can all be used in evangelism. There are some who have a, a gift of evangelism. They just kind of have this unique touch upon their life as a gift of an evangelist. But we can all evangelize, right? Whatever the gift combination may be. And in fact, I think Tom Loud uh, put it very, very well. He says, sometimes you'll notice there's people in the congregation who seem to just have this gift. Like they just operate so confidently and so fruitfully in the gift. And it makes you think sometimes, well, that's not me. He said, think of it this way. I think it's a great illustration. You think, if you think of a child prodigy playing the piano, like some seven-year-old playing Tchaikovsky, would you look at that child and think, I could never play the piano? No, you're inspired, if nothing else, aren't you? I mean, you're signing up for lessons, chopsticks, you know, for the first six months, whatever. You're inspired because you realize, though right now I could not play like that child, if I continue to practice through the course of my life, I could become a concert pianist. Possibly, right? And the same with spiritual gifts. That just because somebody is operating particularly quickly or, or effortlessly, it seems, or confidently in a particular gift, don't let that make you think that that's the way you have to operate at that same level all the time or that you can't operate at all. 
It's like that prodigy. You understand that's God, something God has given at that time for his own reason that he knows, but it does not exclude me from operating in the same gift. I just may need to learn a bit more. It may just take me longer to grow in an understanding of how that particular gift works or whatever, but I can still step out and give God opportunity to use that gift through me. He says, to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another faith, to another gifts of healing, to another prophecy. And when you read that word given, we tend to think of ownership. So a gift is given, a person owns that gift. Well, I really think what he's saying is this. He's using that word given in the sense that to each one has been granted. To each one has been made available to be a steward of at a particular time. He wants us to be stewards of the gifts that he gives us. He wants to, us to make sure that we ensure their proper use. And what's their proper use? As you begin to step out, you'll discover it's this and it's simple. The use of the gifts of the Holy Spirit has one purpose, is to attract people to Jesus. And to inspire them to be devoted to him. That's what it's all about. It's not for your reputation. It's not for another testimony. It's not for a notch on the belt. It's simply to introduce people to Jesus Christ and be thankful that you were able to get in on that and be a part of that. And again, the fact that these gifts are granted to each of us as the Holy Spirit sees best means that all of us can operate in any gift at any time. Will you say that with me? All of us can operate in any gift at any time. One more time. All of us can operate in any gift at any time. How? If we are willing to be powered by wind. If we are willing to move when the Holy Spirit moves. We started our journey in this church a couple of years ago, and a lot of folks have a lot of wonderful stories, what God has been doing in their lives, that they've just been stepping out. But it began with this simple proposition. Can we imagine... What God could do through our lives in touching lives around us if we would simply determine to obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine what God could do through several hundred people, thousands? It's mind-boggling. Can you imagine how quickly our city would be impacted and revolutionized if every single believer just got this? And realize that there are gifts that he has, the Holy Spirit has for all of us, that he wants to place in us, then he wants to activate, and he wants us to operate in. Can you imagine roughly 10,000 believers who name the name of Jesus in this city actually being a witness for Jesus every single day? The city wouldn't have a chance. It would not have a chance. But you see, the problem is this. The enemy knows that. So the enemy knows that when the Holy Spirit prompts us, if we obey the prompting, his kingdom's in trouble. But if he can fill our hearts with fear or unbelief or questions or self-doubt and not obey the prompting, that we will miss opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Because all we'll see are almond trees. And God says, open your eyes. This is the place where God is. This is the place where God is moving. There's activity going on. I just need you to obey my prompting. I want to share a story with you that I think is simply going to think it's crazy. You already know I'm crazy. You don't think the story is crazy, but it's not. I find it so inspiring. Terry, Terry Spencer is a young lady who's been, become an acquaintance of mine through uh, Jason Chin's Love Says Go Academy. We've had Jason here a couple times over the last few years. It's an online school. I'll finish up this morning just letting you know how you can get involved if you want to. But... Uh, Terry is just this, this wonderful young lady who these last two or three years has been on a journey. 
And her journey is, is to try to learn the many ways that the Holy Spirit will speak to us through the course of the day. She has a passion for that. Just, she has a lot of fun with that. The Lord's been showing her some wonderful things. But she also has just a real boldness to step out in obedience as the Holy Spirit speaks to her. Now, we've been talking this last year or two about hearing God. And we've, we're going to have the Hearing God Seminar this fall, by the way, if you're interested. Uh, in fact, Jamie, uh, we'll have to mention it next week. But there's a Hearing God conference coming up. Uh, got some information from Lincoln Westing. So we want to uh, get that information to you. I think you really enjoy it. So we've been, we've been uh, on these themes for the past while as we've been walking together. But, but that's really been Terry's heart, is to learn how to recognize and hear how, when and how the Holy Spirit is speaking and then in boldness to step out and trust that, that he's leading and then to see him do what he does. And she has been rewarded with just opportunity after opportunity just to minister love and comfort and encouragement and healing and so on to so many people just over these last couple of years. Well, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Terry shared a testimony, again, that you might think is strange, but you'll just have to deal with it. But as I read her testimony, it reminded me of a few things. Number one, it reminded me of how zealous the Holy Spirit is for lost people. How incredibly in love God is with humankind. It also reminds me that he is very creative in the ways that he does things, the way he reaches people. If I was to have us testify this morning how he came to the Lord, we'd probably have every story different. That's how creative he is. He knows where we are, what we need. He meets us where we are in very creative ways. But this story also reminds me that you and I can have a lot of fun living for Jesus if we will just learn to get over ourselves. Now, I mean that. We've got to get over ourselves. And we've got to learn to move with the Holy Spirit. Well, here's a story. Terry's dad was at the hospital for treatments. And so Terry went to the pop machine to get a Coke. And in the particular vending machine, there are uh, the bottles with names on them, like Coke does once in a while. This was only a few weeks ago. And she's looking at the pop, and she notices just these two names, Jennifer and Joseph. And so she just kind of felt prompted, like, it just kind of stands out to me for some reason. don't know why, it just kind of stands out. It's like the Holy Spirit just highlighted that, Jennifer and Joseph. So she takes a picture, puts the money in, machine doesn't work. I go upstairs and try to find another machine. She goes upstairs to another machine, and she notices again a bottle with the name Jennifer. And beside the name Jennifer was the name Price. She takes another picture, gets a pop, happened to be a different name, whatever one popped down. So she took those two pictures. She goes back downstairs to the waiting room. When she gets to the waiting room, she notices the lady sitting over there drinking Coke. And her first thought was, Lord, are you up to something? So she thought, I'm just going to step out. She goes over to the lady and she says, hi, my name is Terry. What's your name? She says, oh, my name is, how did you know? Did you read the story? My name is Jennifer. Okay. Terry thinks, okay, God's up to something. She says, by the way, your last name wouldn't happen to be Price, would it? And Jennifer says, how did you know that? And so Terry shows her the picture. And she just says, I'm just, you know, a Christian. I'm just learning to hear God's voice. And it just kind of stood out to me. So I took a picture. And here we are having this conversation. And it's interesting that's your name. And so she said, Jennifer, she said, would the name Joseph mean anything to you? She said, yes, that's my husband. My husband actually is having treatment right now for cancer. And they can't seem to find an answer for what he's suffering with. Well, you can imagine by now, Terry's pretty excited. 
Jennifer's pretty curious as well. And so Terry says, Jennifer, do you mind if I pray for your husband? Would he mind that? And she said, no, I'll take you to the room. And so they, they go, and she prays with Joseph. He didn't have pain he could identify, but, but she felt the Holy Spirit. She felt his presence in that room, and, and they just really appreciated that. And then after she prayed with him, she shared the story, and she showed the pictures of the Coke bottles. And what she said to them was simply this, or along this line. I believe the Lord did this because he wants you to know that you're not alone in your journey. Whatever you may feel like, he sees you, he knows where you are, and he's walking with you. You can turn to him. He knows you, and he loves you. How do you think that made Jennifer and Joseph feel? Wouldn't that be pretty amazing? Not that this coincidence happened, but that God actually knows them. He sees them. He cares about them enough to do something like that. Well, like I said, that might sound kind of strange to some people. I don't think it's strange to most of us. Because to me, what it says is that Jesus loves this world so much that he will even use out-of-the-box Coke bottles in order to touch people. It's only been a couple years since Terry chose to move from just knowing what she believes to actually ministering what she believes. But she says it's been two years of radical love and two years of taking risks to see people get touched by the Lord. But I believe the key is this, that because Terry was open to following the Holy Spirit, whenever and however he was moving, he was able to show himself through her. He was able to show himself through a word of knowledge when she said, hey, this is why I believe God did this. Able to show himself through a gift of faith as she prayed for them and show himself through the simple act of mercy. You see, I think a lot of us never get in on the divine activity that's happening all around us because we believe the lie that these kind of things, they always happen to other people, but they never happen through me. You ever think that? Yeah, this kind of stuff just doesn't happen in someone like me. And, and in fact, we go a step further, we think, well, if God really wanted to use me that way, then it would just come natural to me. You ever think that? Like, that's just not my gift. I'm just not really wired that way. You know, it's just, I'm uncomfortable doing that. I think Todd White put it best when he said, the reason the Holy Spirit is called the comforter is because he makes you uncomfortable. And then he'll comfort you as you step out in obedience. Now, I'm not sure that's good theology, but, but it's certainly a great thought. But we, we think that if it doesn't come natural, then it must not be something the Lord wants you to do or be exposed to. But the reality is none of this comes natural to any of us. Why? Because it's not natural. Right? It's supernatural. Not in a weird, flaky way, but it originates from God, from the gifts that the Holy Spirit has and that he delights to give to you and me and to anybody who will respond to his prompting when he says, I'm on the move, let's go. I need you. I need a mouthpiece. I need someone to speak. I need someone to touch. I need someone to reach out. Are you ready? Let me ask you this. How many have ever felt the Holy Spirit prompt you to do something and you disobeyed it with fear? If I had ten hands, it'd all be up. Right? I, I remember once... Uh, Pastor Penny, remember this? We had a, a guy in our church who's on the worship team. He's about 98 pounds, soaking wet, no word of a lie, 98 pounds. Tiny little guy. And he's, he's standing there worshiping the Lord. And there's this lady up front worshiping the Lord, uh, just standing in front of the pew. And she was quite a heavy lady. And he felt prompted. The Lord was saying, go stand behind her. Because he knew that the Lord was going to slay her. He said, go stand behind her. He said, no, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Not me. <laughs> and then in an instant... 
bang, she cracked her head in the pew. Now, she had a bit of a headache. She survived. But it really taught him something. Now, I don't know the theology of all that, okay? <laughs> Why did God let it happen to her? All that kind of stuff. Why did he just smack him in the back of the head? Whatever. Um, but the point is, we all know times when we felt prompted to do something, felt prompted to step out, but because it wasn't in the norm, it wasn't, you know, the almond trees type thing, it wasn't in the natural, we hesitated. But many times afterward, we realized that we missed an opportunity. Something else maybe unfolded or happened. We realized, oh, God, that really was you. And I really should have stepped out, but I didn't do it at the time. So we need to be a people who allow the Holy Spirit to, or that we are sensitive when the Holy Spirit is moving so that we can move along as well. But the point is this. If you're waiting just for a gift to fall in your lap, it's probably not going to happen. Because it's been my experience, as Paul says in the other scriptures, that these gifts or these Holy Spirit abilities, they get activated once you put yourself in a position to do what the Holy Spirit is prompted to do. Now, we've heard the analogy many, many times, but Peter, of course, Peter didn't walk on water. Peter didn't experience a miracle until he what? Stepped out of the boat, right? What did he say? Lord, is that you? If that's you, bid me come. Tell me to come, right? The Lord says, it is me. And we need to do that as well at times when we feel prompted or somebody's highlighted or a situation, whatever it may be, like Jeff shared this morning. There's not, it's not unbelief to say, Lord, is this you? Lord, if this is you, would you maybe increase that? Would you just show me somehow, whatever the case may be, and, and allow the Lord to give you that bit more courage that you need. But when you step out, that's where he meets you. It is in the stepping out that you learn to move with the Holy Spirit. It's in the stepping out that you begin to grow in the knowledge of the gifts. It's in the stepping out that you begin to experience the adventure of a living faith. Now, I think one of the most obvious reasons why we don't venture into this a lot of times is just fear and unbelief. But another reason is because we don't understand the purpose of process. The purpose of process. Jesus will never bypass process to make you a ministering person. Let me just say this. The greatest joy for Jesus is not making you a ministering person. That's not his greatest joy. You know his greatest joy? His greatest joy is simply hanging out with you. That's his greatest joy. How many of you as parents would rather your kids do things for you than spend time with you? None of us would. We'd say, any day, no contest, spend time with me. And in the same way we talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit or being moved or following the wind of the Holy Spirit, we need to understand that there's a process. We don't understand everything at once. We don't have everything nailed down at once in order to be used by God or to move in one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit or for the Lord to move through us. The Lord loves to have interaction with us, and as you grow, he shows you how to operate in these gifts. That's why he doesn't give us all the abilities and all the answers at once. If he did what we do, we just say, thank you, Lord, and off on our way and do our own thing. We'd be like the lepers who never came back to say thank you to the Lord. We would just say, hey, I got the gifts, off I go, I'll do my own thing. Instead, what does Jesus do? He chooses to lead us a step at a time, a word at a time. What does he do? As simple as this, go buy a Coke. It's empty, go upstairs. See this lady drinking Coke. Show her the pictures, step by step by step by step. The analogy is used of a Kleenex box. If you want to be learned to be led by the Spirit, what do you do? You do the first thing he prompts you to do. You don't know what the next thing is. You just do the first thing. It's like taking out that first Kleenex. Now the Kleenex pops up, right? When the time comes, he'll tell you again. Next one, tell you again. 
There you go. And before you know it, you've walked with the Lord over a course of time or a few minutes or an hour, whatever it may be, and you've just seen him unfold something beautifully. His grace gifts, like a multicolored tapestry of God's grace. Because you've been obedient to his prompting one step at a time, and you've spent time with him. You see, ministering the gifts of the Spirit is not the destination. Jesus is the destination. And when he's our focus and the relationship and the dialogue is our focus, then all the other things come into being. Out of that relationship, we learn to listen, we learn to love, we learn to take risks. We even learn how to fail, but fail and not give up. There's a big difference. All of us can operate in any gift at any time if we are willing to be powered by wind. If we're willing to move with the Holy Spirit when he is moving. And when you do that, when you step, he will meet you and he will move through you in ways that you didn't imagine. I was so encouraged when I saw Jeff's picture uh, on Facebook there a couple months ago with Evan. I don't know if Kayla was with him or not, but with Evan there, I was just so moved by that. When I saw that picture, I just, as the scripture says, I was just, I was just inspired. And I know that the people who were down there were attracted to Jesus because of what was done. Let me just finish off with this, with this quote. It's been said. Sometimes miracles are just good people with kind hearts. I love that. It's so true. Just good people with kind hearts. It lines up with what Paul said in Romans 12. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Right? You just meet the need. It just opens a person's heart. And who knows what the Lord has in store. Never underestimate the miracle of a loving action. Never. As the Holy Spirit is prompting you. Don't underestimate what he's going to do. It might be the simplest of things, but what are you doing? You're allowing the Holy Spirit to begin to open the door, and as he does step by step, you know, action by action, Kleenex after Kleenex, the Lord leads you, and he begins to unfold this beautiful picture of what he's planned to do the whole time from the moment you first obeyed. How many have heard of Heidi Baker? Heidi Baker is just an incredible missionary. I shouldn't even say incredible. She's just a, a sister. That's what she would say. She just loves Jesus. But she's been a missionary for decades, and she's an evangelist. Heidi has seen countless people healed of every kind of disease. You know how? Simply with a hug. She has a heart that is so touched and so broken for the hurting and the lost. She will literally just hug people, and as she hugs them, the love of God will just pour into them and heal their brokenness. Physically, emotionally, mentally, whatever it may be. De deliverance, whatever it may be. I'm going to ask the worship team to join me. And as they come, I'm so thankful to the Lord that I can know him in a personal way. I'm thankful that he is my personal Savior. And I don't know if you've heard this before or not, but you know, our faith is personal, right? But it's not private. Big difference. Personal, but it's not private. It's for everybody else. Freely you've received. Now find ways to give it away. Find ways to minister to others. And the way that you do that, the way that you're my witness, is not just what you believe. It's through how you find ways to minister what you believe. You become a witness by allowing the Holy Spirit to operate his gifts through you. The purpose, of course, being to attract people to Jesus. I want to leave you these two resources real quick. 
If you're looking this summer for opportunities, you might say, Pastor, I'd love to do that. How in the world do I begin to grow in those things? The first one is here. We know Jason Chin, as I mentioned, he's been here a couple of times already. Uh, just letting you know that uh, this summer, beginning in another couple of weeks, that uh, his online school, he's condensed it, has a variety of topics. Uh, it's a wonderful way to, to receive some great teaching, to be stretched each week as you have kind of an assignment, an activation assignment. You begin to step out in the things that you've been learning. You've also got interaction with other people who've signed up. There's about 1,500 right now signed up. He's got room for more. But uh, on Facebook, you're encouraging one another, spurging another for good works. And it's a really an exciting, exciting uh, opportunity to learn. And then also, close with this, as we shared earlier in the service, um, part of our vision for 2019, our ministry, our outreach, has to do with uh, the tent city. And what we want to do in, in ministering to the folks in the tent city, I think last time we were down, Jamie, probably 40, 50 people. Maybe it's grown a bit more since then. But uh, what we want to do is not just one or two outings. We want to have regular touches through the whole summer into the fall. Okay? So we can't take like 20 people down and just overwhelm the place. But what we can do is take four or five people, sometimes more is what we're doing. If we're doing a barbecue, for example, we can take, you know, 10 or 15 people. If we're doing some distribution. Uh, but also, we need people who will just go down and just those regular touches through the course of the week. And it doesn't have to be just be the homeless. I mean, you can hit the streets. You can go into the mall, wherever it may be, as the Holy Spirit leads you. But, but when you're down there, the reason for that is that we want them to know that Jesus loves them. So what that means is Jesus is interested in a relationship with them. And so we want to develop relationships. We want you to be able to go down and get to know their names, get to know their stories, let them know that they are real people. It's not just a charity case. You're somebody God loves and that God wants to begin to minister to and restore. And so whether it's practical things we'll do, by the way, of food and barbecues and, and supplies, but also as you get to know them and they open up, you get to pray. You get to minister healing. You get to minister deliverance. You get to minister peace of mind to those who have mental issues, whatever it may be. But it takes an investment, right? Right? It's not just some, you know, little project. These are people. Not a project. They're people, right? And the beautiful thing is, as you put yourself in that position, not only will the Holy Spirit minister to you, the Holy Spirit will begin to change you. And he'll enlarge your heart. And he'll have the gifts in operation in and through your life. Our time is gone.